0: Well, good morning. I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, my name's Jake. I'm the associate pastor here at First Baptist. Our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, uh, on Friday tested positive for COVID-19. And so we would just want to take a moment to pray for him, to pray for Cindy. And uh, his symptoms, he says, are mild. So we want to, can, we want to pray that that continues But would you just join me in prayer real quick for Dr. Cox and his family, but also also just for the the end of this pandemic and for God to protect us. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we come before you as people who know that we need you. So, Father, I pray for Dr. Cox right now, God. Lord, I pray that you would help him. God, that his symptoms would continue to be mild. Lord, that you'd heal him. God, right now we pray for Cindy, Lord, that you continue to protect her. And um, ultimately, Lord, we pray for the end of this pandemic and, God, for you to protect us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a series called How Great Is Our God? And we're going through chapters in Isaiah that are talking about God's greatness. And today we're going to be in Isaiah 43. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles and join with me there. And as you turn, um, there's a story about a wealthy family that one time invited a younger family to come enjoy, enjoy a weekend at their estate. And so they came over that Friday and everything was going great. The children went out to go swim in the swimming pool. And it was almost ruined when one of the young children began to drown in the deep water. Luckily, a gardener heard the screams for help and he came running The youngster who was drowning was Winston Churchill. The gardener was able to pull him out of the water, and Churchill's family they were so grateful. They asked the gardener, "What can we do to uh, to reward you for this heroic act?" And he said, "Well, it's a lot to ask, but could you pay for my child to go to college? He wants to be a doctor." The Churchills were like, yeah, absolutely, we will pay that right now. So, years later, Winston Churchill becomes the prime minister of England, and he's diagnosed with pneumonia. And so the king was greatly concerned, and he went and got the best doctor he could find to be at his bedside to help him recover. That doctor was Alexander Fleming, who is the developer of penicillin. Fleming's dad was that gardener who rescued Winston when he was a young boy. Winston says about this experience, rarely has one man ever owed his life twice to the same person. But for the Christ follower, that's the reality of all of us, isn't it? We thank God for the gift of physical life, and yet we thank him for his son, but because of his son, we now have eternal life. And so here's the deal. This story sets the stage For what we see in chapter 43 of Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying and he's looking ahead about 150 years. And he's telling the nation of the exile that's going to happen. But here in this chapter he begins to shift and he's telling them about how they will be released from the exile. And they will no longer go through the water and the fire of God's judgment. And so this text is specifically written to the nation of Israel but... We all can find encouragement from these words as well. So here's the big idea this morning. It's this. The main point of the passage is to encourage God's people to not fear what man and nature can do to them. And so we have four points. I want to start with point number one. Here's what it says. Point number one is this. Do not fear. What I love about this text is that it gives the command, do not fear, but then it also tells you why. And here's the reason why. Because God's past faithfulness is an indication of his future faithfulness. So walk with me here in the text. It starts by saying this, but now. So in chapter 42, it's all about God's judgment there for a minute. There's the the warning of the exile that's going to take 70 years. But now. So at this point, we get the encouragement that the exile will be over. And so God says, but now a new day is at hand. God's going to act on behalf of his people. And he's going to do it before his people even fully repent. He's going to do it because it's a sure act of grace. God is going to release his people because of his goodness, not because of anything they had done. Fire had once burned them. We see that in Isaiah 42. But that's not going to be that way anymore. So here's the text. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now, that last sentence sounds like something that Boaz would say to Ruth, doesn't it? Uh, this idea or this word redeemer in Hebrew, it's, it's the word for kingsman redeemer, meaning the person who pays the debt, the person who fights your battle, the protector. Who comes in and brings salvation. So, whatever Israel's blindness or insensitivity has been towards God in the past, God says, You can forget all of that. I want you to concentrate on this one fact You belong to me, you are mine. Now, God wants to make this point clear because Israel thought they had blown it, they thought God was done with them. They thought because of their past sin, they no longer belonged to God, or even worse, they were never his to begin with. And so God wants to reassure his people right here, you are mine. I want you to see the progression of this relationship. Walk through this with me. He says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you because of your sin. I called you. You're mine, and I am yours. Now, he's talking about Israel right here, but I want you to know something, church. This is your identity as well. This is, these words are true of you as well. You are the people who are created, formed, redeemed, and called to be the children of God. That is who you are. And the beautiful thing about this is that what did we do in this relationship? We did nothing. All we did was turn around and receive all of this grace. You see, this relationship that God is offering to us, it's all grace. It's all the things that he has done. We have done nothing. So look at verse 2 with me. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. Flames will not set you ablaze. For Judah, as they hear these words it would remind them of the past faithfulness of God. When it talks about passing through the waters, what would that make them think of? The Red Sea, when the water parted and they walked right through it. When it talks about the fire and how the fire would not burn them, that's gonna point them to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were in the fire and another one was in there with them and they did not burn. You see, God's people... We walk through the waters, we walk through the fire, and it won't harm us. But I don't know about you, I hear that and I want to push back a little bit, right? Because here's the thing. If the water and the fire is not going to harm me, why do I have to go through it, right? Like, if I'm just going to pass through, why can't I just bypass the whole thing? You ever ask that question? And when I think about this, I try to think about the positives. So here's the thing. What does water do? Water cleanses. Water cleans. What does fire do? Fire refines and fire purifies. It's almost like God has a purpose for the fire and for the water. Jeremiah 29, 11, which was written to these exiles that Isaiah is talking to, says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Those plans may include fire and water that you have to go through. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Passing through water and fire, it teaches us to trust the Lord like no other, doesn't it? Not only that, it sanctifies us. It makes us more and more like Jesus than if we had not gone through that altogether. I want you to notice here as we camp out for a minute, the text doesn't say if you pass through or if you walk through. What does it say? When. One of the best things that we can do for ourselves is to realize we are not exempt from difficulty, hard times, trial, or pain. This is a reality of the broken world. And to be honest with you, These are the things that God uses to transform our character, isn't it? One last observation here before we move on. The text says, when you walk, or you will walk. I don't know about you, but when I'm hurried, I'm stressed, I'm anxious about the things of this world, I'm not walking. right? I am scurrying and moving as fast as I can. But when I'm calm when I'm confident, when I'm cool, I'm collected, when I'm trusting in God's sovereignty, guess what I'm able to do in those moments? I'm able to walk because I know God's got this. Our relationship with God empowers us to walk through life with confidence in his faithfulness. So look at verse three. For I am the Lord your God, The Holy One of Israel. That's the word, or that's the name that he uses to describe himself in this chapter. I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. Cush and Seba for your seed, for your steed. In this series, we're looking at how great is our God. Can I show you how great God is? God says, even at your lowest point, even at your exile, I am planning for your rescue. God says, I'm going to have to pay your ransom. And here's the thing. I'm not going to spare a single dime in redeeming you. Egypt, Cush, and Seba, those are the places that are rich with gold. And God says, there's no price that I am unwilling to pay in order to make you mine. Isn't that a picture of something? Isn't that a picture of the cross? Where God says, there's nothing I wouldn't do. I will shed the blood of my own son in order to redeem you. God gives him the title, God gives himself the title, the Holy One of Israel, meaning, I am distinct, I am set apart, I am the only one who can be your Savior. Uh, This verse is a foreshadowing of the Persians who will come in, take over the Babylonians, and set God's people free. But I want you to hear this again. Even at Israel's lowest point, God was working for their rescue. Church, I want you to know that's true of you as well. That if you're here today and you do not yet know the Lord, let me tell you, even at your lowest point, God is planning for your rescue. And sometimes God uses our lowest points in order to wake us up so that we will come to him. So verse 4, I love this. Because you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Let me pause there and just read that again because I think we need to hear it. Because you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Listen, the argument of verses 1 through 4 is this. You don't need to fear. You can trust me because of my past faithfulness in your life. You can trust in my future faithfulness for you. My care for you is right now and it is always God is saying right now in this text. So don't be afraid of the trouble that's coming. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Let me just... Let me just bring this this home, make it personal for a second. Has has God been faithful to you? Has he been faithful to you in the past? Has he been faithful to the people in your family? Has he been faithful to the people in this church? Think about the faithfulness and what God has done throughout human history, but just make it personal what he's done here in this congregation of people. Listen, his past faithfulness is an indication that his future faithfulness is something we can trust. And we have no need for fear. So point one, do not fear. You may discover a pattern here. Point two, do not fear. Why? Because God is with you. Look at verse five. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from, from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Oh, and here's the verse. This is the good one. I love this one. Verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So Isaiah is prophesying about how the exile will, will one day be over. But this end to the exile is only a shadow of something else he's also talking about. He's pointing us to a day when every nation, every tribe, every people group will gather together in the new heaven and new earth. We will be his people and he will be our God and we will be with him forever. Revelation 21 says it this way, they will be my people and I will be their God. And that's what he's pointing to right here. But I love verse 7. It says, I created you for my glory. God created all of us for his glory. You think about creation. God did not create out of a deficiency or a need. God wasn't lonely at creation. God was supremely happy in fellowship with himself, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He created us in order to put his glory on display throughout the entire earth so that we might know him, love him, share him, and enjoy him forever. I want you to know this is the purpose of your life. I talk to so many people right now during this pandemic. And so many people are like, man, I just feel like something's missing. I feel like I just lack a purpose right now. Let me tell you, no matter what, this is your purpose in life. You were here. You were put on this earth To glorify God. So do not fear. Your purpose is to know him and to enjoy him forever. So don't let your current circumstances take away the encouragement of your eternal destiny. Isaiah is going to continue this theme in the next point. So let's let's go there. So point one, do not fear. Point two, do not fear. Anybody want to guess what point three might be? Point three is, do not fear. So just jump ahead a little bit now. Verses 20 and 21. Do not fear. Why? God says, because you were created to display my glory. Now, uh, we can't make God more glorious. He's already infinitely glorious. We do not add to God's glory. But we Reveal how glorious he already is. So, I want to give you an illustration of this. When I think about glory, it's kind of an abstract term, right? So, sometimes using a different verb to help explain it makes it a little bit easier. So, I want to use the word magnify. We're here to magnify the greatness of God. Now, here's two forms of magnification you've got microscopes, which take a small thing and make it look bigger. And then you have telescopes that take a big thing and show you how it really is. So when we magnify God, we don't need a microscope. We we can't add to his glory. We can't make him any bigger than he already is. What we are called to do, I brought a low-tech visual aid to help me. What we're called to do is to be a telescope. And we're to put on display how glorious he already is. So to the world... We are doing this. We're saying, wow, look at this. Look how glorious and magnificent this is, right? And so we do that by saying, look at his word. Look what God says about himself in the word. But sometimes we even bring it back to a personal place. We say, look at what he's done in my life. Look how he took me from where I was to where I am now. Or we say, look at the life of other believers. Look at what God has done. You see, with false gods and idols, those are the small things that we've got to embellish and make greater. But the one true God, he's already glorious. And our job is just to put it on display for everyone to see how great and glorious he is. So we see this in Isaiah 43, verse 20. It says here, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to drink, to my chosen people. So God's talking about the things that he does. The people who I formed for myself so that they might, now look at what we do, declare my praise. That's our job. That's what we do. Now watch this in the next chapter, Isaiah 44. It says this, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, his people, and he will be glorified in Israel. How did Israel respond to their redemption? They joined in with the song of creation, praising God, because that's what they were created to do. What do we do in response to our redemption? We do the same thing. We join in with the praise of all creation, praising our Redeemer and our Creator. So, point one, point two, point three do not fear. The final thing, though, final point is this there's somebody we should fear. We must fear God. Why? Because He's great. Because he is the Holy One of Israel. Matthew 10, verse 28, summarizes this pretty well, doesn't it? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So this chapter is going to end with a snap back to reality kind of moment. The reality is God's people are going to go through the exile. They were encouraged that the exile will one day end. But in verses 22 through 28, God's going to begin to list out all of their sins and the way that they have been unfaithful to the Lord. And he's basically telling them your sin has consequences. There will be an exile. But verse 25 is what we need to focus on. Look at verse 25 with me. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake, for my own glory, and remembers your sins no more. God's final word in this chapter is not judgment, it's grace. He reminds them that he's the one who takes away their sin, and he does it not because of anything they had done, but because of who he is He says, I'm going to do all of this for my own sake, for the praise of my glorious grace. Church, here's the point. I really want us to hear this. You were created for God's glory. You are redeemed for God's glory. The question we need to ask as we wrap up is this. Is that true of you? Is God's glory the reason why you get up and go to work every day? Is God's glory the reason why you get up and go to school every morning? Is God's glory the point of every to-do list, everything that you do? It's the reason why you were created. You were created for his glory. So let me just tell you, today can be the day that you turn around. Today can be the day that you turn around and you receive God's grace. And your life is no longer about magnifying small gods like yourself, your status, your money. It's no longer about magnifying the small gods. Your life can now be about displaying the glory of the one true God. Today you can turn around and do that. You can pray to receive Christ. We'll help you along in that journey. But you know what? Today can also be the day that you refocus and you commit and you say, "You know what? My life has lacked purpose right now because I've got off track. I'm not living for God's glory right now. I'm I'm living for my own or I'm living for something else. And I need to realize he's the main character in the story. I'm just a supporting actor." My life is going to be all about his glory because he's the holy one of Israel. He's the only one who can save because this is how great our God is. Let's pray together. Father, as we have looked at your word, God, I pray that if there's someone here today, Lord, their life doesn't make sense. They're battling with purpose. That you would bring them to the point right now of surrender, where, re- where they realize that their life finds meaning in living for you, in displaying your glory. Because that's why they were created, the text tells us. Father, I pray that we would be the people who live for your glory, that we would display your glory to all the earth, joining in with all creation, telling the world how great you are. Father, would you make that true of us today? We ask this all in Jesus' good name, amen.